All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 59 of the Daily Face-Off Rundown. I'm Frank Saravalli, and I'm flying solo this week on the episode. And I'm coming to you live from the woodjerseys.com studio. As you can see here, I've got my officially licensed Toronto Maple Leafs wood jersey. You can usually see Jason Greger's Boston Bruins one behind him. They're adding more teams every day at woodjerseys.com. Deck out your fan cave, your office, your bedroom, wherever it is with some amazing detail, all made in Canada and shipped around the continent right to your door. All right, so we're knocking on the door of the 21-22 season. Training camp is just a few weeks away. We're five weeks until puck drop. But after what's been an incredibly sad summer for the hockey world, losing Jimmy Hayes, Tony Esposito, Rod Gilbert, Mac Motzko, and our three burgeoning young players in Alberta, we wanted to close out the summer on Labor Day weekend with a little bit of a light note. So with that, let's get to our big guest of the day, delivered by DoorDash. All of your favorites delivered right to your door, food and more. If you haven't tried DoorDash yet, use promo code RUNDOWNDD for 20% off your first order plus free delivery. If you don't feel like cooking tonight or if you want to indulge in a little late night snack, trust me, I've been there as you can see, DoorDash is your vehicle. 
If you've watched the smash hit next Netflix documentary, Untold Crime and Penalties, our next guest needs no introduction. AJ Galante was the star of the show, the then 17-year-old kid who was handed the president and GM title and nearly built a championship team in just two years with the UHL's Danbury Trashers. The DFO Rundown is pleased to welcome AJ Galante to the show. How you doing, AJ? Hey, Frank, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. So let's, uh, let's start here. We're thrilled to have you. Uh, so I got a chance to, to watch the doc and, and obviously it's been such a, a big talking point. It's so popular, especially in hockey, social media circles. What did you think of the doc when you first saw it? And, um, how did this all come about? Well, that's a great, I mean, you know, to be honest with you, I watched it when it came out on Tuesday. So I, I didn't have any like early access to it, um, which was, which was nerve wracking to be honest with you. Cause you know, we, uh, you know, McLean and Chapman way, the way brothers who produced the whole untold series for Netflix, McLean reached out to me, I believe it was the end of 2018. And, um, you know, he, he kind of pitched this whole idea and I, I kind of put him off, put him off, put him off. And finally he just kept, He's like, AJ, I, I really want to talk to you. I, I, I'm telling you this story can be huge. So I, I we, you know, we talked to him and uh, he was convinced that they could do something incredible with the story. And um, I guess so far so good. I, I don't know. It, it's, it's hard to keep up with all the notifications and, and the updates and it, it's insane, but uh, it's just a very humbling experience right now. What did you think of the job they did? Was it accurate? Did they portray things? Oh, you know, I'll I, I tell you, um, with documentaries, I learned, you know, sometimes there's some embellishments here and there, but I got to tell you, they were, they were spot on. And I think that's just the type of producers they are. I and mean, they told me from day one, they're extremely honest people. Um, because, you know, there's a lot of facets to the stories, layers to the stories that can get a little get a little tough for, for us to speak about, but, um, I gotta tell you, I mean, they kept their word with everything. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was spot on. Were there any which, parts, which, might, which, which might seem crazy for people, but yes, it was, it was spot on. <laughs> I mean, there were certainly some parts I was like, Holy smokes. I can't believe that was real. Um, were there any parts of the story that, that in your mind didn't get told? Like, were there parts left out? Oh, I mean, so many different, so many, I mean, they told me they, they actually like, it, it's funny. They told me when they pitched this to Netflix at first, they were little 50, 50 on doing the story. Cause we're not, we're not a big name. We're not a big team. And they wanted like big names, you know, and uh, they just fought for us, you know, these guys and uh, you know, they, but to go back to your question, they, they had to cut down. We're, we're actually the longest of all five untold docs at all like an hour and 25 minutes. And they said, AJ, we had like 30 extra minutes we wanted to use, but Netflix had to cut us down. I mean, so many stories. I mean, uh, when the NHL tried to sue us after the first year, um, you know, some of the other pranks and stuff, you know, T-Bone and I used to do together. I mean, just, I mean, there's just way too much, way too much to talk about. Seriously. It was insane. 
Well, let's dive into some of that because actually that was one of my questions was, um, you know, we saw the reaction uh, from the United Hockey League and, and actually the commissioner was one of the great heel turns, uh, you know, for me watching it because I, I got you see him talk and you're like, OK, this is definitely heading down this path. And then at the end, he's like, yeah, like nothing but respect for for the Galantes and their family and what they did for the league and everything. And so I was a little bit surprised to see that reaction towards the end. But from your perspective, what was the other reaction from other leagues? You know, I'm sure everyone was noticing what you guys were doing, the AHL, the NHL. What was happening at, at that time? Refresh our memory and, and tell us some stories. Well, we were, I mean, it's, it's, I feel like I've said it a thousand times. We, we were the bad boys. And I tell you, we, um, we lived up to the moniker. We, uh, we embraced it. We had players that loved it, embraced it. And, uh, we were one of those guys, we were, we were those guys that, you know, kind of like one of those players that, you know, like the Sean Avery's of the world where, by the way, we tried to trade for Sean Avery that first season. That's a whole nother story. But, you know, the, the thing is, we were the team that we, everyone hated us so bad, but you couldn't help but like it in a way. And people love to hate us. And uh, you know what? If that got more eyeballs to the league, if that got more, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a firm believer. You know, my dad always taught me no, no press is bad press. And uh, frankly, we, we, we kind of ran with that. And uh, I think it was after the Chad Wagner incident. And I believe it was Oh five when he went after uh, the Adirondack coach at the time, Mark Potvan. And uh, that's when we were on the front page of the Toronto star. And it was like, what the hell are these guys doing down there? That's kind of when the tipping point for us and, and people were just, especially the purists, they were just disgusted with us, with our antics, with, uh, they didn't believe that, uh, there should be as much fighting. A lot of them didn't believe in fighting at all, obviously. And it was, uh, it was just crazy. And, uh, the NHL definitely had some issues. And, uh, I remember going into our second season. It's a true story. And, and no one really knows it. We, we were going into our second year and we're sitting there, me and my dad are eating McDonald's and, uh, our, uh, our, our director of, uh, you know, media and our play-by-play announcer, Phil Jubileo, came in with a fax. And he, he put it on the table. He's like, hey, guys. Uh, you know, he was nervous about bringing it to us. He goes, hey, guys, uh, this just came in. You know, you see the uh, NHL seal at the top, you know, Gary Bettman, this and that. And uh, basically, in, in layman's terms and in stupid people terms, what they were saying in fancy words were we had to change our name. And that we were, you know, we were too close to the Atlanta Thrashers. And, uh, you know, it was funny to me that a, that a league that was just coming off a, a season-long lockout, they couldn't get their stuff together, were worried about what, what, what a trash can logo was doing. And uh, you know what? Me and my dad, we thought about it. We talked about it. And we were trying to, like, how are we going to, how are we going to respond to this? So basically, and it's a true story, we had Phil Jubileo put together in, in nice educated words that we understand their grievance. And um, if they would like us to, we would have no problem flying in the Atlanta thrashers to Danbury and we would play them for the name. And, you know, here's the reality, Frank, you're not a stupid guy. I mean, we would have lost the game, but we would have beat them up so bad to send a message to the NHL. And they would have beat us. And and look, if we tried to fight it in court, 
we would have been screwed with legal fees. They, they, you know, the NHL, they, they print money. So we were in a tough spot, but we sent the facts to them. It's like mystery Alaska. Like, come on, bring the NHL in and play us. Well, we offered, no, it's a true story. We offered, my dad offered to fly in the whole thrashers organization. And we said, Hey, listen, we'll make it an exhibition in the preseason. You guys need good press as it is. Why don't you guys look like, you know, we were trying to package it. Like we wanted to work together, but in reality, we were going to beat them up and they were going to take our name or that we were going to fight. We were going to, we were going to go down swinging literally on it. So they never responded to the, to the offer. I mean, look, I'm not saying Gary Bettman saw the, saw the, saw the, the challenge, but somebody in that office saw it and uh, it kind of just all went away. So then they never said anything about the name again. Never. And frankly, you know, in reality, unfortunately, after our second season, we had to disband anyway. So the problem went away from them. But, you know, the thrashers are sitting where the trashers are right now. So it really doesn't matter. Well, that's what I was going to say. So after all that, like the trash, like no one's making a Netflix talk about the thrashers. I mean, what's up yeah. with that? Like you guys may have ultimately been more popular and created more of a buzz than an actual NHL franchise did in the Atlanta thrashers. And I think that probably goes to, to say something. And I was going to ask you about sort of the brand and style that you guys played, you know, a lot of people, you know, the, the debate with fighting in the NHL has gone on forever. And, and the game now is so different than what it looked like even in 2004, yes. but there has to be something to be said for the popularity, like what you guys were able to create in Danbury with your team, how wildly successful that team. Danbury wasn't a hockey town before you guys started. And, no. and, and then now you, you build it into something it has to say something about the brand and style that you played, not just the wins. Well, that's the thing is, you know, again, and I, I talked about it in the documentary. I, I grew up, my first love was pro wrestling. And the thing about pro wrestling was I always liked the bad guys, you know, the heels. And uh, to me, they always made the biggest impact. And, you know, when me, my, and again, the other thing people don't understand is we winged this whole thing. You know, we didn't have like real elaborate meetings and we didn't have like a big whiteboard or chalkboard and mapping things out. We just winged it. Every, everything we did, honest to goodness, what we winged it. And we said, Hey, listen, we're not a hockey town. No one cares too much about hockey anyway. How are we going to market this to people that never had this before? So we really wanted to bring that entertainment element. And, uh, you know, look, it's a different time, you know, back then, there were people that liked that darkness. There was people that wanted those bad boys and uh, we just rolled with it. And uh, you know, it, it's, I, I took a lot of lessons I learned through watching pro wrestling through the years of uh, being a heel and this and that. And that's what we wanted. So what was the toughest part for you? You said you guys were winging it. You know, you're there, we see you, you know, looking on hockey DB and, and checking out stats. What was the toughest part for you putting the team together? Did you lean on anyone throughout the process? Oh, sure. I mean, it, you know, I get a lot of credit for this stuff, but we had a, we had a great team around us. You know, everyone, everyone was equals with us in the, I guess, front office. You know, that sounds so pro professional. We weren't in a front office. We were just like <laughs> a bunch of, bunch of lunatics, you know, meeting in a room, but uh, you know, we had a great team around us, you know, obviously T-Bone, Tommy Pompasello, our equipment manager played a, played a huge role in uh, certain contacts. And, you know, 
look, you, you know, you strap on your work boots and you, you figure a way, you know, you, you find, and you know, it was harder back then. There wasn't social media. You couldn't just look anyone up and send them a direct message. I mean, it was different. So there was no video really to watch online. No, no. I mean, you, you really had to go with a lot of, you know, word of mouth. You had to do a lot of, you know, I studied a lot on, I mean, hockey DB, my God. I mean, I used to be on that website 24 seven. I mean, how do you, how do you like compose a team like that? Especially the first year. Cause I didn't know anyone and, and uh, you know, it changed a little bit the second year, but you just find a way you find a way. And, and, you know, the way I looked at it is in baseball terms, I was the starting pitcher and my dad was the closer. You know, I would bring him these ideas. Hey, these are the type of players and you got deals done and we just, we just made it happen. I mean, the amazing part through all that is you put together a winner, like that team won. How, like, does that, does that still, does it blow your mind at all that, you know, someone that doesn't have any sort of experience in it is able to sort of walk through it. And like you said, you know, you got some help from your dad and others behind the scenes in terms of closing things, but putting that all together and actually having a successful team, it's one thing to be intimidating. It's one thing to, you know, beat everyone up, but to also win. Well, that was always, you know, as I get older, you know, when I was 17, 18 years old, the cool thing was always the, the, the craziness. But as I get older, I just turned 35 a few weeks ago. It's amazing. Um, I learned to appreciate just how good we, like you said, we were. And it was like the dirty little secret that we would win a game seven to two. And the next day, all it was about was, oh, uh, Wingfield, you know, try to put a guy through the glass or this guy through his helmet. You know, the dirty secret was we were racking up points every night, you know, two points, you know, uh, shootouts. You know, it was um, I- I've learned to really appreciate that as I've gotten older that, hey, look, the team was actually really good. And, um, you know, the, it, it's, it's everything. And you know what it was when you're building a team? A lot of it is the personalities. And um, honestly, in the two full seasons, training camps, uh, regular seasons, postseasons, Colonial Cup finals. I mean, we never had many disputes between teammates. Everyone, we had a very tight-knit group. We had a group that, you know, look, any team, not everyone's going to get along with each other, but we had a team that understood what we were all trying to do. And um, I got to tell you, I mean, we we really, everyone got along. And that was, I think, a huge thing, too, is that the chemistry – if the chemistry is not there, you know, you, you could have three goal scores on one line. It's just not going to work. You know, if the chemistry is not there. So we just, you know, light, you know, we, we struck lightning in a bottle with a lot of different things, but that that's actually what blows my mind is that it's not like you had some deep scouting staff that was, you know, doing their due diligence on their, these players and their personalities and like how that all comes together. It's almost like you said, lightning in a bottle. It's a happy accident that, you know, you get all these guys that buy into the trasher way of they, they knew what you were trying to do. And it's almost like, you know, you could even kind of see it in Mike Rupp's face. It's like, ah, I'm in, like, I'll do it. You know what it is? I think these guys, and you're right. Look, here's the reality. I mean, I, I, I really appreciate, you know, people give me so much credit and, and, I'm not that smart. You know, we got lucky with a lot of things too. I mean, the NHL lockout the first year really was a big thing for us at advantage. And like you said, sometimes you make things happen and it's just the stars are aligned sometimes and it works. And uh, 
But you know what? When we talk to these guys for the first time, if we finally make contact with them directly or through agents, you know, I think they realize right away we're not like the atypical front office. And uh, I think they realize we're one of them. And, uh, I, you know, they can call me up and say, hey, AJ, we're going to play video games when you get back from school this weekend. You know, I'm going to beat you. And, I mean, we, I would, we would literally have, you know, NHL 2004 tournaments on PlayStation in the locker room. You know, I'd be right in the mix. I won a lot, by the way. Um, <laughs> and you know what, man? We just, we were one of them and they were one of us. And, and I think when they realized that, man, this is not, a suit and tie, not that there's anything wrong with that. This isn't like a suit and tie operations where, you know, if you have a bad game, we're cutting you, you know, they just realize, Hey, this is like, this is a family. This is, this is, this is incredible. And, um, and it was we fun. Hung all the, we, we hung out all the time. I mean, we'd have to kick guys out of the locker room after games because everyone would be watching TV. Uh, you know, room and Ender would want to play FIFA on PlayStation and this one would want to play NHL. We had to get two TVs at one point. And uh, I mean, it was just everyone loved to be there together. And look, not everything was was, uh, you know, Reesey PC all the time, but we just got along. Everyone, everyone had the same mentality and we, we had the same cause. Mm hmm. And, and part of that, I would imagine, has to do also with some of the money being paid, right? Um, you know, that's a big enticement for players, especially at that mm -hmm. level, to play. Um, tell me about what that was like. I mean, you're dealing with a salary cap on paper. I think it was 275000 for the entire team for the year, which is peanuts. When you, you calculate it out per guy, it's, like, amazing to think that guys were playing for 10, 15 grand for the season. Yeah. What were, what were some of these guys actually getting paid, AJ? Well, listen, I get asked this all the time. I wasn't a numbers guy. Let's put it that way. 275,000. I mean, maybe our accountant was dyslexic. I don't know. Maybe they got the, maybe they got the numbers backwards. I don't know. Here, here's the thing. We wanted to make sure guys felt good. And this is a, at the time, look, this is a dangerous sport too. I mean, I'm in boxing now and that's, you know, that's life and death sometimes, but hockey at that time was a dangerous sport. Um, you know, you could go out there, could be fluke injuries. You want to make sure guys feel like they're being taken care of. Um, and like you said, I mean, look, I'm not going to speak too much on a salary cap, but I'll say this. It's hard to entice a guy to come play and he has to uh, moonlight as the custodian in the rink after to make a couple extra bucks to, to buy a Burger King after the game. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? So look, uh, I heard some, I've heard rumors of some of the numbers and stuff, but uh, yeah, I think guys liked it here and look, don't get me wrong. I, I mean, uh, me and my dad have good personalities, but the money definitely played into a lot of the decisions. So the, the duffel bags of cash though, they may or may not have been real. Well, Hey, listen, I, you know, I was, I was doing homework a lot, so I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't necessarily know if there was duffel bags or cash or whatever, but, uh, you know, I was in school a lot. So who, who knows who, you know, your guess is as good as mine on some of these things. I love it. Um, so the team ceases operations, your dad goes away. Did you think at all about trying to continue a career in hockey or, you know, I, I heard you mention that it was a bad breakup and you just said, you know what, I'm going to go in another direction, but it had to cross your mind. No. 
No, I mean, when we, when we, you know, when it became official, um, you know, that it was, it was over. I mean, it was like, um, you know, it was like the worst breakup in the world. I mean, I couldn't even get out of bed, you know, for like a week. And, and honestly, I was, and not that it was the sport of hockey sport, but I just, I didn't want to be around hockey. I didn't, you know, I stopped watching the NHL. I, I couldn't, I couldn't be around it. It was, it was, you know, and that sounds dramatic. I sound like a, like a, like a girl here, but it's seriously, I couldn't watch it. And, um, Believe it or not, when I started talking to these producers at Netflix and, you know, I started doing a lot of research for them, you know, going through old video, I kind of found my love again, to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, I started watching my devils again and uh, trying to pick up where I left off. You know, like you said, hockey is so different from when I remember last watching it. And, you know, you're trying to so fast now, you know, and um, I'm like trying to keep up with who's who. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to slowly get myself back into it a little bit. Good for you. I mean, look, the game, as you said, has changed a lot, but you know, it's still fast, exciting, all those things. Well, listen, and you know what it's I still physical. People, well, well, here's the thing, you know, different. I tell people all the time, just because something's different doesn't mean it's bad. It's just different. You know, sometimes, you know, people, you know, it's an, it's someone's opinion. You know, I could say the game is different from Oh four. That's not necessarily a good or a bad thing. It's just, you know, things evolve in life, you know, and, um, you know, I, I'm very, you know, I'm, I've been slowly getting right back into it. I'm a big New Jersey Devil fan. I'm, I'm loyal to them. They haven't been too good lately, I see. But, you know, we're going to get back one way or the other. And, uh, you know, you, you just get back into it and you just have to, you know, my dad always told me you have to, you have to evolve with things. You know, nothing's going to last forever. I mean, people ask all the time, are you bringing the trashers back? No, it's never going to happen. It, it would never work. It, that... First of all, they don't make players like that anymore, first of all. And second of all, in this culture, we, we, would, we would get indicted again after one game. I mean, we'd be arrested right out of the arena. We could never do the things we were doing. So, look, I tell people, you know, especially locally, because we have a new pro team here, the Hattricks. They're a great team. And I say, give them a chance. No, it's not the Trashers, but you, it's an unfair comparison. The game is, is so different now. Why do you think – you know, a number of franchises have tried to do it in Danbury since the Trashers. Why do you think none of them have been able to achieve the same success, not just on the ice, but also fans and, and, and everything else business-wise? You know, it's a great question. And, I, and people have asked me that. Here's the reality. Number one, not to sound like that, but we set a high bar. Um, the league itself we were in was a very – out of all the teams that have gone after us, we were in the highest level league. So the, the, the quality of play, we spoiled these people out here because even the opponents, like the, the league itself has always been a notch above every league that's come after. And um, you know what? It's like, you don't forget your first good, bad, or indifferent. And I, I think it's unfair for the teams that have come after us to like compare it to us because like, it's different. The, the leagues were different. The quality of play was different. Um, the game itself, the sport has changed, but I got to tell you something. I got invited, you know, like I said, I've slowly gotten myself back two years ago. I got invited. Uh, they got a team here now, the hat tricks. And uh, I got to tell you, I really enjoyed myself. It's a high level play. You know, there was three fights that night. So that was fun. 
um, you know what I tell people, you got to give it a chance, you know, but it's a tough sport because here's the thing, you know how it is. These guys are on the bus all the time, road games. And, you know, you could be doing good in Danbury. You could have sellouts every night, but if your closest opponents are folding after the season, you're screwed as a business because if you're, if your nearest opponent is uh, in Indiana, it's not feasible. So I think there's a variety of reasons of why, you know, there's been trouble after us, but, um, you know, I'm telling you this team, the hat tricks now, they, they got something good. And I wish them the best. If you could go back and, and revisit those two seasons and how everything started, is there anything you would change? Well, I'd like to, I would like to think we would have won the Stanley, I'm Stanley cup. Jesus. I would have liked to hope we would, we would have won it all that second year, but it's almost fitting that we didn't. And I tell people, you know, storytelling one-on-one, bad guys lose in the end. And we were, hey, we had to pay the piper. We were the bad guys. Ultimately, we lost. And you know what? You're not, that's how it's supposed to be. The bad guys aren't supposed to win. So I guess it was a little bit of karma. And we, we could never, uh, I would love to get back that series with Kalamazoo because we had two defensemen. If they were healthy, it probably would have been different. But, you know, what can you do? Hmm. Tell me about T-Bone, Tommy Pompasello. Uh, to me, what a character. Like, how did you decide on filling out your team and, and start, starting with, with T-Bone? And what's he up to now? Well, I think character is the, the – you couldn't have described it any better. I mean, just a character. Since I, I met him when I was really young, um, listen, I try, to, I try to put people around me that have – similar mentality, which that makes me sound crazy. But what I mean is the same goals, you know, for all his craziness and antics, he has a very good hockey mind. And frankly, at the time he was someone we can trust and he had contacts that we didn't have. And like I said, we were in sync with what we were looking for. And he was really one of the few guys that my father and I at the time were confident enough to, reach out on our behalf almost, you know, and, uh, you know, he's been around the game. He was around the game a lot longer than me and my father combined. So it was a no brainer. And, uh, I think his personality definitely fit, which is scary to say, but, uh, it, um, you know, it, it all, it all, uh, it all, it all worked itself out. And, and tell me about your, your boxing gym and your business and, and how that's going. Well, again, I mean, after after the trashers disbanded in 06, I mean, I, I kind of settled into a normal nine to five type of life. Um, then about five years later, uh, I got into boxing almost as a fluke. Um, someone I knew from down here was looking for help with a young fighter, uh, not a young fighter, but a fighter that needed some help with representation. I said, listen, I know nothing about boxing. Um, I wasn't even a boxing fan. And you know what? there was something about it that just kept pulling me to, to do it. And I kind of, I jumped in like with the trashers with, with no experience. I kind of just jumped into it and I've been in boxing now over 10 years, which is insane. And, uh, you know, we opened a gym here in Danbury champs boxing club, literally a stone's throw away from the ice arena. I see the ice arena every day. And, uh, so many parallels, so many parallels in, in their own ways to uh, what we were doing back uh, 
back in the early 2000s. That's awesome. All right, AJ, uh, we always close out our segments with a little rapid fire. We only have one rule and you have to answer the question. All right. Okay. So number one, you were 17, the GM of a pro hockey team. How did AJ Galante celebrate a trashers win? What'd you do after? We went, me and my buddy who came to every game with me, we went to a, a restaurant called Jim Barbary's right next to the rink. And uh, I would literally at like 11 o'clock at night eat like a 16-ounce steak every, every time we won. How I didn't become obese after those two years, I don't know. But that's how we – that's how we, me personally, we celebrated. And what about the boys? Man, I, I don't know. I mean, I, my mom wouldn't let me go out with them. I was under 21. But I'll tell you what. We would get phone calls two, three, four in the morning from bar owners or cops that hey, uh, so and so's breaking bottles over his head. He's drunk. Um, you know, uh, three of the guys got into a fight. Someone was talking to another guy's girl. I mean, we would get these calls every weekend. Every weekend we'd get those calls. <laughs> All right. So we've we heard some stories about some of the pranks or, or sort of dirty play that you guys had with opponents that would stop in, whether it was suddenly the heat would stop working or they were being given chintzy towels to shower with. What is the dirtiest trasher move uh, against opponents that would stop into Danbury? Allegedly, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, I may have heard that a police officer who was a trasher fan allegedly pulled over the Adirondack frostbite bus and kept them on the side of the road for about allegedly an hour. And when he was done with them, there was nothing for him to see. He sent them off and, and the frostbite got to the big game. It was a battle for first place. I believe uh, they got there like 25 minutes before puck drop. And uh, needless to say, they 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 didn't they weren't able to get too warmed up, and uh, we we had a good night. Allegedly, of course, yeah. Very very allegedly. I, yeah. I've heard tales. I don't know. That's awesome. Uh, so during the NHL lockout, who was one player you tried to get but couldn't land? That's a twofold question. The first answer to that, as far as a guy in the NHL that didn't play in our league. We tried to get Donald Brashear at the time because it would have been the funniest goddamn thing to see him play on with some of our guys. Um, I mean, we probably would have just lost opponents at that point with the team we had. And then you bring in a Donald Brashear, that would have been it. We really tried hard for him. He ended up going to the Quebec league, I believe, but the main guy that I wanted, and he ended up playing in that league was Sean Avery. Sean Avery was born to be a trasher. And he was with the Detroit Red Wings at the time. And during the lockout, there was actually a team in our league, the Motor City Mechanics. So he, Chris Chelios, and Darian Hatcher, I want to say, played a few games with that Motor City team. But Sean Avery was the only one that was taking it serious. And we tried to trade for him at the trade deadline. And I believe I was told he was kind of in, in on coming. But I think, you know, like any league, the league has to officially rubber stamp the trade. I don't, my spidey senses say, I don't think the league wanted Sean Avery on the trasher. So unfortunately we couldn't execute that trade officially, but 
Sean Avery, if, if he's listening, he was the, he was born to be a trasher and it's a shame we, we couldn't, we couldn't do that. Lord knows. Maybe it was better that he, he wasn't. So you said born to be a trasher and you guys had one of the best nicknames. We talked about the, the run-in with the thrashers. What were yes. some other names? Like it, it was such a perfect name, but what were some of the other nicknames that you guys considered for your team? None. That was when, when my dad, when my dad told me, he was like, we're calling it the trashers. And at first I didn't like the name, but after a day or two, I thought about it and just thinking of like some of the logos that could be made out of a trash can. It was the funniest thing I had ever heard in my life. And I'm like, you know what, dad, you're right. That was a, that was a genius move, but there was no, there was no alternative. And that's why, that's why when the thrashers and the NHL threatened us, I don't think it was the thrashers, but when the NHL threatened us, we didn't have an alternative name. So we would have, we probably would have done something stupid, like not have a name. We would have just been called Danbury. We probably wouldn't have called ourselves anything else. That's awesome. Uh, and lastly, this is going to be a tough one for you. Who was the toughest trasher? Was it Wingfield? Was it Ruma Nadir? How about this one? I'm going to throw this one at you. You only played a few games. Frank the Animal by Alois. That is the age-old question. That is, oh, man, and, I, and the rule was I had to answer. Okay, well, I'll put it to you like this because they're all friends of mine, and someone's going to be angry. Here's the thing. They were all at different points of their career at the time with the Trashers, so not all of them were in their prime. So I'll put it to you this way. At the time of 2004 through 2006, if for whatever the reason – which would be pretty, pretty awesome. If we had to stage a fight center ice and we needed the win if for whatever the reason for the fans to vote or, you know, they have these fantasy pound for pound lists. It's a steel cage death match to put it in a wrestling steel cage death match at that time, not in their all in their primes at that time, Brad Wingfield. I mean, uh, that's tough, but Brad Wingfield is a, was a dog. And he wasn't even in his prime at the, he was, he was a little older at the time. Not that he was old, but if, if the chips were down and, and we had a gun to our head and, and it was all riding on one guy at that time, pre leg injury, pre broken leg, Brad Wingfield is a guy you, 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 you want in a, in a foxhole with you. Awesome. I mean, just in the doc, seeing him connect with your dad again, really, really special. It speaks to what you guys built in Danbury and AJ, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, what a story. This is a fantastic documentary if you haven't seen it. Um, and if you knew a little bit about the trashers like I did and wanted to learn more, that's the way to see it. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, this is great for hockey and really appreciate it. Thank you, Frank. I appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right, hockey fans, listen up, because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Face-Off Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.